Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. What's good, Hummer? It's a great day to be a Bearcat fan. As always, my friend. Folks, one thing I know we need to get into that Hummer and I did a very poor job of last week, and that's providing a little more context about who we are as Bearcat basketball fans, how we got involved with the program, if we went to UC, whether or not we attended the university. So Hummer, why don't you go ahead and kick us off and and tell us a little bit more about uh, your past with the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, so uh, I went to Georgetown University. Just kidding. I went to the University of Cincinnati. I started in in 2006. Uh, I took a victory lap, so I graduated somewhere uh, in the neighborhood of 2011 and 12. Who really remembers? Uh, but yeah, no. I started going to UC basketball games as a kid. Always going with my dad. I think I maybe missed four or five games, basketball games throughout my student career. Uh, always a big fan, but we did get a, a good chance to start uh, at the beginning of the Mick Cronin era. Uh, which, you know, we'll see. We'll be talking a decent amount about that here. What about you? Oh, of course. I could tell last week that we've got some passionate feelings about Mick Cronin. And uh, spoiler alert, we started college at the same time, and that happened to be the the first year of what became the 13 years of Mick Cronin basketball. Um, and so, funny dun, enough, dun, dun. <laughs> you join, you, you start attending UC just as our basketball program is literally bottoming out. I mean, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for players, can barely field a roster. Uh, those are the, the dark ages of Bearcat basketball. We're at the university. We're in Clifton. We're going to games. And simultaneous with that, the Bearcats football team is seeing an all-time high. Uh, I don't know if it was the first year necessarily, but shortly after we arrived, Brian Kelly started coaching the football team. And we were, we were attending the Birmingham Bowl. We were attending the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl. We were spoiled as football fans. Yet here we are today, not really talking about football, not reveling in the victory we saw last week at UCLA or at Nippert uh, against UCLA, uh, but rather spending our days talking about the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. And uh, Ryan, let's go ahead and, and talk about the breaking news this week. Huge news in Bearcats basketball. Midnight Madness is back. It's back, baby. How do you feel? I'm I'm excited. I'm really glad that Mr. Brandon decided to keep this tradition alive. Uh, It's something that's always been special to a lot of Bearcat fans. Uh, And one thing I think he's doing a little different, too, is he's actually using the football program to promote it. He's doing this when we're playing UCF. You know, it's going to be a big-time game. It's it's going to basically decide the conference if, if we're looking at the projections right. So it's, it's going to be a, a big draw for potential recruits to come and see what is highlighting you know the upcoming season. Keep it alive. He straight up resuscitated it. He brought it back from the dead. Mick Cronin didn't have one Midnight Madness. Now, a lot of people were saying, does Midnight Madness even matter? And I'm here to tell you, of course it fucking matters. Uh, I, I went to Midnight Madness as a kid year in, year out. It's how we kicked off the season, whether there were preseason number one rankings or whether we were outside the top 25 uh, starting Jihad Muhammad. That was the time of year to get pumped for the season. You'd go there. You'd check out the team for the first time. If you're a little kid or an old guy who's, 
who's uh, overindulging himself, you're getting signatures from the team. You're meeting the players. You're getting to immerse yourself in the program. So to me, this is a huge deal. It comes back October 4th, right after the UCF football team comes to Nippert Stadium. We knock them off and continue our path to, to dominating the AAC in football. So I, I am a very excited fan when it comes to welcoming uh, back Bearcat Madness. What's your favorite memory of Bearcat Madness? All right, so great question. There's a couple things that jump out at me. First thing is that I would always love is, is how funny I found Bob Huggins at these things. So you would go to Bearcat Madness. Fans would be getting pumped up. And uh, anybody who knows Bob Huggins knows he's not the most animated of speakers. But one thing he would do every single year when it came to this basketball team is talk about how much they could bench press and how many guys could bench a certain number. So one specific year, I can't remember the year, he's bragging that, well, uh, look, we got nine guys who can bench over 400 pounds on this team, which in the moment, I loved it. You're like, yeah, we got the toughest damn team in America. In hindsight, I'm like, uh, and what does this have to do with basketball? But look, I loved it. My dad loved it. Fans loved it. We love being the team that would walk through airports and people would cower and go hide in the bathroom uh, because we were so big and strong, and we really embraced that mentality. Um, outside of Bob Huggins being an entertaining character, uh, I personally remember and loved seeing Melvin Levitt jump over the golf cart. Uh, that's probably the most famous Bearcat Madness uh, memory or, or moment out there, and, and I'm not alone in, in remembering that one. But uh, those are those are some of my favorite things from the from Midnight Madness. But yeah, welcome back, Bearcat Madness. Thank you, John Brandon, for bringing this back. I'm very excited, and we'll see you all there on October 4th. Um, look, we're in the offseason, Hummer, and we've got to create some content as it relates to the basketball team. I'm still not done talking about the Mick Cronin era. It was 13 years of my life. As I mentioned, it was our first year in college when he actually joined the program. I think we owe it to Bearcat fans. We owe it to Mick. We owe it to the players who gave their blood, sweat, and tears to the program during his tenure to spend a little more time rehashing what we loved, what we what we didn't love, what we hated, uh, what we won't miss. Uh, but today, let's start with the positive. Let's go ahead and rehash. Who are your five favorite players of the Mick Cronin era? And folks, a disclaimer. We're not saying best. We're not saying, we're not using analytics. We're not using numbers. We're talking about our favorite players, pure, pure entertainment. That's what we're talking about. Entertainment value. Who did we love to see? So I'm going to go ahead and give you mine first. Please do. All right. Number one. You know, we're actually, we're going to roll this back one. We're going to start with number five. <laughs> that is Zach Tobler time. Zach Tobler. Whoa. Went deep. Absolutely. Do you I have a basketball love. memory of Zach Tobler, or is it like a a fan idolization of Zach Tobler? He was he's our Cuban cigar. <laughs> <laughs> the victory cigar. He is the guy you pull off the bench when you know you have the game wrapped up. I love seeing Zach Tobler come in. <laughs> now we've had a we've had quite a few victory cigars over the years. Uh, I think my my most notable personally is well, let's say the OG of, of Victory Cigars is Alec Me Alex Meacham. Shout 100%. out to Alex Meacham. Great Bearcat Twitter feed. Uh, 
very involved in the shoe game and out there. Look, I'd love to get Alex on the program at some point, but after that, there's John Meeker, and you're saying I think but those Meeker, are both Meeker those are both be more famous. Yes, but those are both pre-Cronin. So you're saying Zach Tobler is the John Meeker of the Mick Cronin era. Hundred percent. Can you find I one like better? <laughs> no. All I, right. Uh, yeah, but that great pick. Um, there's very little to rehash in terms of basketball. I, I literally do not have a memory of Zach Tobler playing basketball, but um, I did enjoy seeing him come off the bench. Yeah. So now that now that we got the victory cigar out of the way, I think my number four would become, and I don't think you'll agree with this at all for this list, but Yancey Gates. Yancey. Look, I, I'm, I'm on the record somewhere saying that this guy did not live up to what we wanted him to be, that he never worked on his body the way he should have, that he never developed his game the way he should have. But there is one thing that I will always hold near and dear to my heart when it comes to Yancey Gates. Do you know what that moment is? The day. <laughs> no, Hummer. The, 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 the day I hold near and dear to my heart with Yancey Gates is when he cold cocked Kenny Freeze and put his ass on the ground. <laughs> oh, God, that was a good day. Forever solidifying himself as a Bearcat great. Yeah, that was phenomenal. I'm, I'll not apologize for like, enjoying that. No, I think there's something else he brought to the table, though. He, yes, he may not have, have worked on his body. He was definitely a disappointment. You know, I think people around him told him he was going to be an NBA talent, and he just he was like, all right, cool, I don't have to do anything anymore. I'm going to go to the NBA, which didn't happen. But he, I think he was a really instrumental part of making that team in 2010, 2011 very entertaining to watch. Like, if you go back and you look at where that team started, they started preseason ranked around, you know, the t- – well, below 20, like 21, 22. By game four, they lost to Presbyterian. When does UC lose to Presbyterian? In 2011. Uh, but as you go through the season, we weren't ranked at all. We get into the Big East tournament, or Big East play, and we have a decent stretch. You know, we're, we're beating Georgetown at rank number 11. We're bringing Marquette at, at number 8. We're taking Syracuse at the time. I think they were number 2 or 3. And we're taking them, you know, basically into the last seconds of the game before it gets pulled away by fouls. Then we go into the Big East tournament, and he just he just turns it on out of nowhere. And you know, we take that nice run where you know we beat Syracuse and to go to the Big East ship. So he, he brings to me a, a lot of entertainment value. And I think with obviously Sean Kilpatrick's a great part of that team, but I think Yancey gets overlooked for his role and what he was able to provide, being the only big man on the floor. For sure. I mean, I'll give it to you. I, I personally, he was never one of my favorite Bearcats by any means. At the end of the day, though, he gave us more cachet than we had before. He was a local Cincinnati kid who came to the program, gave us a chance. And he's, I think he was a senior when we went to the Sweet 16. He's one of the few Bearcats during the McCronin era who, can, who has a Sweet 16 under his belt. Uh, we know that most other players do not. That year I'm talking about is the year they went. Yeah. Boom. I think. So you're right. I mean, he, he deserves his credit. Certainly not one of my top five favorite players, um, but he is near and dear to my heart uh, due to some uh, some fortunate or unfortunate circumstances that transpired on the court. Can, can I jump in here? Can yes. I throw one out here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a player out. Um, the first player I'm going to throw out, I'm not sure I'm willing to put these guys in any sort of order, but one of my five favorite Bearcats ever, 
during the Mick Cronin era. Cashmere Wright. Loved me some Cashmere Wright. What are your first impressions of Cashmere? He was one of those players that, to me, was frustrating. Uh, I guess at that point in time in the program, with you seeing what we're doing, you want that guard who's just going to come up and knock down a shot more like a Jacob Evans type of player. And to me, he just never was that. I think there could have been more of that from him. But, you know, what can you say? He was part of the heart and soul of that team, but he's also being overshadowed by players like Sean Kilpatrick, who currently still happens to play in the NBA. Well, I, I know that Kashmir Wright coming into the program, highly touted. He was dropping somewhere around 33 points a game in high school. Huge expectations for what he would bring. But shortly upon arriving on campus, he did tear his ACL early in his career. And that is true. The explosion never seemed to quite be there after that day. But what I loved about Kashmir, dude was as professional as you get for an amateur sport. Um, he was dedicated to the team, great leader as he developed into a junior, senior. And ultimately, he did have a, a wonderful signature moment as a Bearcat, which was uh, that mid-range fadeaway baseline jumper that he buried over Alabama to win the game, which now is even funnier. And John Brannon will mention it. John Brannon was on the bench for Alabama when Kashmir Wright hit that game winner. So Kashmir uh, Wright, one of my five favorite players, just really enjoyed the guy as a Bearcat, uh, despite maybe the stats and, and production not quite being there. I'll throw out another name, and this one's pretty pretty easy because I'm sure he has to be on your list. Gary Clark. Gary Clark. Gary Clark's on every Bearcat fan's list. If he's not, then uh, you're an Egg Xavier fan. Yeah, Gary. <laughs> Gary, the problem, Clark. Um, incredible. Honestly, just an incredible career. Came in from day one as a freshman. I think started pretty much every game he played at Cincinnati. I could probably be that could be confirmed if I was quick with the fingers. Um, but just extremely hard-nosed. Every year his game seemed to develop. And everybody you hear talk about him within the program says that he is he was the heart and soul of everything that we did. And, and really taking the program from maybe like a, a B level to a B plus, A minus level those last few years of Cronin. I think his emotion at the end of that Nevada loss, you know, said it all. He, he, he sat there on the court and cried. I mean, yeah. You can tell right. everything about it. His heart was into this game and into this into this team, and yeah, so that's an easy one. Who do you got? He's next? for sure. Yeah, he's a Bearcat for life. Um, I've actually seen him in the area since, so it does seem like he's going to be a Bearcat through and through. Uh, the next guy I'm going to throw out is probably another guy that should be on most people's lists. Um, Justin Jackson, such an easy pick. Such an easy pick. Uh, he was actually number one on my list. Number one, nice. Mean mug, baby. <laughs> the, mean, the Justin Jackson mean face got the hashtag going. Um, I when I when The first time I ever saw Justin Jackson was back when the Devereaux Summer League was still a thing. Where do you get it's your clothes? Uh, Devereaux. It was a uh, summer basketball league where local players, um, as young as high school, you also had former UC Xavier, Ohio, Ohio State players come and play. Um, just local hoopers would come and play on the weekends down at Withrow High School. And um, first time I ever saw Justin Jackson, a gangly, young, 17, 18-year-old at the time who couldn't have looked less sure of himself. 
Uh, the body movements and way he carried himself was so uncomfortable that I was audibly laughing just watching him, thinking there's no way this guy can remotely be a good basketball player. Lo and behold, four years later, he's the heart and soul of our program. Uh, you could argue um, one of the best defenders of the Cronin era. I mean, I would say he's probably top three. Block shots, chase down blocks, uh, high energy. So, yeah, extremely memorable player. I was about to ask if he knew. I thought he, I thought he might be the leader in blocks. All time? Thought, maybe. Over Kenyon Martin? Look, I'm going to try and fact check that while we're on here, but um, I'm going to go ahead and throw another person out here. I would say Troy Copain, one of my favorite five Bearcats of the Mick Cronin era. Very, I would say, not highly touted. Super young when he came here. He was 17 through most of his freshman year, uh, but just rock solid. Could count on the guy, never afraid of the moment. Stepped up, hit big shots at the end of games. Uh, just had, was a very calm, cool, collected player, and I enjoyed having him as my point guard. Yeah, I guess he just wasn't on my list because he kind of was uh, almost under the radar, if you would. He stepped in between between teams. You know, when you're looking at the, and we can argue this all day, the best two teams under the Cronin era, but in my opinion, they were that, that 2010-11 team and then the 2017-2018 team. And... You know, he really didn't feature. He didn't feature in any of those two teams. Uh, so, you know, I guess that's under the radar guy. Well, yeah, he didn't. He it's under the radar. He's still making a, a professional career for himself. I see him every summer uh, playing for the Wizards or the Magic. He's still bouncing around. Um, he's he's continued to work on his game. Yeah, he didn't experience the team success you would expect. You know, I think he was the point guard of the team that lost to Harvard in the tournament. But I never hold those things against our players. In fact, I always attribute those losses to Mick Cronin and Mick Cronin only. The Harvard loss. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so who else you got, Hummer? Who's another uh, one of your favorite Bearcats? Dion Dixon. Beautiful. Dion Dixon. Beautiful. Best play ever from a Bearcat. The end of the Florida State game, the steal and dunk. Yep. Take the lead, never lose it again. Uh, funny stat, Cincinnati beats Florida State and ends up right below them at the end of the final season rankings. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> Typical disrespect from the media, from national media. We never get the respect we deserve. Never. Uh, never. But yeah, no, Deion Dixon, he was just an entertaining player all around. He brought the heart, he had the speed, and you know, he's just an often underlooked player on that squad. Yeah, Dixon was uh, was awesome. You know, highly athletic. Another dude who got better every single year. And good defender, high energy, showed emotion his senior year, um, and got us to the Sweet 16, just like Yancey Gates. You know, I think he was part of the same class as Yancey. So shout out to those guys. They were part of the most successful winning team in terms of where we've gotten the tournament of the McCronin era. I've, I've, got, I've got one guy left on my team on my top five of the Cronin era. How many do you have left? I got zero. So this, this is okay. it. Let's hear it. This is it. And, and this guy, come on, we should have mentioned him earlier. Jaron Cumberland. How is this guy not one of your top five favorite players of the Cronin era? We've got one year left. I'm counting it. Three years under Cronin. What do you have to say for yourself? I can't hate on Cumberland. He's probably the best at this point, you know, 
well, I guess we can't see the, say that yet, but I think he's one of the best recruits that, that Cronin's had. Uh, surprised, honestly, that he didn't get any as much NBA look as he thought he was going to get, but that that's good for us. Uh, surprised he didn't have J- Jaquan Parker. <laughs> look, man, Jaron Cumberland is my sweet spot for what I like in a player. Big, strong, but also someone who's not afraid to get cocky and swaggy out on the court. I love how much shit he talks. I love how does he talk shit? I've never heard of shit talk. Yes, no, it's not so much. It's not so much the talking. Look at the body language he gives the other team. Look at the hand gestures he makes. Look at the faces and the and the uh, flexing he does on the court. Dude is a savage. Love it. I'm so happy we get one more year. Of this. Uh, this excellent Bearcat legend. And I'm, I'm excited to see where he can end up on the all-time scoring list. He drops enough points, he's going to be uh, potentially as high as number uh, two or three. Where's he at right now? I don't know the exact ranking. I do know that the projections have him where if he ends up averaging around 23 a game, he has an outside shot of actually passing Deontay Vaughn and then passing Sean Kilpatrick as well. If he averages 23 points a game, this team is going to the Elite Eight. <laughs> <laughs> it's in play that's all i'm saying it's in play uh all right hummer look we just celebrated our five favorite players of the cronin era i told you we would spread this out i lied while we're doing our five favorite i think it's only fair that we drop our least favorite player of the mick cronin era sir you have the honors kyle washington whoa <laughs> i'm stunned Kyle Washington, explain yourself. Always just dropping the ball, Mister Anti Clutch. That the fish hook that he that it looked pretty went in like thirty percent of the time. Hey, Hummer, Hummer! This guy dropped. It, I think he was almost a double double, walking double double in the senior year. You have to you have to you have to explain further. You just didn't like the look of his game. This is attitude. I don't know. There's just something about him. I just he just struck me wrong. You know, it's always a, it felt like in the big moments he just he always just kind of caved under pressure. Uh, just wow. This I'm, I just <laughs> want to just share some information with you. The guy, <laughs> the guy shot fifty percent from the field. He shot thirty six percent from three. He averaged five point five boards his senior year. Six point eight. His junior, and then twelve point nine and eleven point three points per game, respectively, in his junior and senior years. The guy was solid. I mean, look, I didn't like all. I, I thought he jacked a little bit too much. He stood on the outside a little bit too much. Didn't rebound maybe like he should. Least favorite player during the Micronin era. He came into one of these guys who you know you're hearing about the stud transfer. He's gonna be amazing. He's gonna do great things. And yeah, sure, he had great stats by. You know, any anybody you know who who can read stats would say it's a great great stat. But no, the it's just the other stuff about him. You know, he, it doesn't seem like he came in and really he could have been better. Like I know you mentioned him standing on the outside too much. He would stand around. He'd stay in the middle. You should shoot fifty percent from the field when you don't move three percent three feet outside the hoop. You know, and that's I felt like he did that too lot. And that's one of the things that was a. Uh, you know, a thing of Cronin's teams that they stood around a lot. They didn't move. They didn't move. They have a lot of ball movement. 
and maybe that's something that you know he he, he was a uh, you know a symptom of but yeah no I just didn't he's boring to watch <laughs> and look I love it it's outside the box I think you're completely wrong and you're completely mad and it doesn't make sense but I respect you for sharing that on the record for everybody to hear it I'm going to tell you who my least favorite player of the Cronin era was. And it's not going to be a shocker. Quadri Moore is my least favorite player of the Mick Cronin era. And I cannot tell you how excited I was to hear when he transferred his senior year. It was this the guy, greatest transfer in the history of transfers. <laughs> he was the least self-aware basketball player I've ever seen. He came in off the bench I'll tell you what made it worse, but for, for starters, his game was, okay, I'm 6'7", fairly good in size. I could probably get boards. I could probably body people down low. I've got an okay jump shot, I guess. No, he doesn't have a good jump shot, but he thinks he does. And instead of shooting threes, I'm going to stand about 18 feet from the hoop. I'm going to jack inefficient mid-range twos every time I touch the ball. <laughs> he recorded six passes during the lifetime of his Bearcat career and did nothing to enhance our basketball team. Quadri Moore is my least favorite player of the Mick Cronin era, and what made things worse was Mick Cronin refused to bench this guy. He always got minutes on Mick Cronin's teams, which to me was a huge indictment of his record as a coach and probably explains why we've only gone to one Sweet 16 in 13 years when we had Mick Cronin as basketball coach. I'm done. Oh, God. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, folks, those are uh, those are Hummer and Cooper's five favorite basketball players of the Mick Cronin era. Uh, whether you agree, disagree, we'd love to hear your feedback on the topic. You can hit us at at Cincy Slangin on Twitter, or you can also hit us on Cincy Slangin at gmail.com. Uh, please share with us who your top five players of the Cronin era are. Uh, we'd love to hear the feedback. And please, if uh, if you agree or disagree with Kyle Washington and Quadri Moore as your as the least favorite players of the era, um, feel free to share your feedback. We're always welcoming it, welcoming of those things. And if you like Palmer, us, please subscribe to us on iTunes. We're oh, also that is wow. Podbean. <laughs> Podbean, and we're working on Spotify. And never hesitate to hit us with that five star review. Uh, Hummer, while you were on your cruise, uh, stuck abroad in the middle of the ocean, we did get some other news this week. Uh, I think the day after the UCLA game on Friday, a recruiting update. I think we did get a recruiting update. Are you uh, up to speed? Yeah, we are. Um, the biggest update, though, is we did have some recruits at the UCLA game. Go on. We had some local some local players, some highly touted players there. Well, one highly touted local player. Uh, Bowden Hardman from Princeton High School. Uh, he's being highly recruited. They also had Isaiah Ramey from Cedarville. They also had a couple local guys from Moeller. Uh, Logan Duncombe, Will McCracken, and Zach George. If you want to Google images of these players, I will quote for you one Twitter comment that I saw. White dudes falling out of trees. Uh, all I can say is, um, it seems like 
I wish I wouldn't have laughed because actually there's a really good point to this. Uh, these, what's special about all these recruits that he's having come to this program is they're guys that weren't looking at Cincinnati before. None of these sure. guys had Cincinnati on their radar prior to John Brandon coming in. So yeah. they, he at least got them through the door. He got them to say, hey, take a look at us instead of that school in Norwood. Because uh, I think every single one of these players also has a, an offer. Uh, some of them have offers from Purdue, which is a decent basketball school. Uh, they have offers from Xavier. Um, so they're not guys that are, aren't getting offers, not just local scrubs. Uh, but, yes, I am up to date on the, the recent recruiting class. Let, let me add one more thing on that. This is completely anecdotal. It's not founded in fact. I'm not a reporter. But I have heard whispers of local recruits not really considering UC. It was not really on their radar. Mick Cronin had an incredibly negative perception in terms of luring local recruits, which I think is a little bit unfair to the guy. But it probably goes back to the style of play. It probably goes back to um, not being willing to play freshmen, not really willing to be playing the youth. And uh, it's good to see that local guys are starting to consider UC again, because I think Cincinnati does have quite a bit of talent. Now, now what we were getting to is the actual news is that Gabe and Mason Madsen have committed to the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball programs. They are 2020 recruits, two more spots filled. We have two remaining for the class of 2020 with the third spot that's already filled, having been filled by Mike Saunders Jr. Um, we will make sure we go deep on Mike Saunders Jr. on another episode. We've got a special guest for you in the works. Hummer, what you, what's your first reaction here to Gabe and Mason? Well, you know you know we're about to go deep on, on Mike Saunders, but Gabe Mason actually uh, ranks higher than him on the national recruiting boards. Three-star recruit. He comes with his brother, Mason Madsen, which, you know, say what you will, a brother and brother, two brothers want to come play for the same school. I understand it. Um, looks like one of them might be the victory cigar and the other one might be a stud. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I've watched the YouTube clips. There are YouTube clips of Gabe. There are not very many YouTube clips of Mason. And I'll, all I'm going to say is this. We are a big enough, accomplished enough program that we shouldn't have to take a recruit who may not be up to snuff for the level of basketball we require at this university in order to pull the brother in. Look, we're not talking about, we're not talking about a Michael Beasley. We're not talking about a Zion Williamson. Gabe Madsen is not those things. He's very, he's talented. He appears to be a guy who's going to be an excellent contributor over the course of four years. But why are, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced Mason Madsen should be a recruit for the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, it could be a mistake for John Brandon to, to waste a scholarship on him, especially because he will definitely be a four-year scholarship player um, under those circumstances. So, you know, that's that's four four years of a wasted scholarship position potentially on at least one of the, one of the two brothers. Uh, 
But and, and and look, there's there's arguments against it. I know one of them is that when you have a, a 12 man basketball roster, they're not all going to play minutes. You're going to have guys at the end of the bench. Um, and I know there's probably more actually more than 12. But in terms of scholarships, um, I just think I want John Brandon taking shots first when you're offering a scholarship. Let's take shots on guys that are lottery tickets. I want to see them develop into high-level basketball players. I could be completely off base. Mason might be a better prospect than we're leading on. I just know that when you look at the schools that were recruiting him, it was a lower level of basketball. It wasn't the type of player we typically recruit to the University of Cincinnati, and it seems like we did it only to lock up the brother. Now, maybe to get one, you had to recruit the other. I would argue that's not the case. This is from BearcatJournal.com an article written this week. Here's a quote from Gabe Madsen. Mason and I always talked about playing together, even when we weren't sure it was going to happen. So getting to play with him is really cool and exciting. To me, he knew. They knew it might not be possible to play together. We didn't necessarily have to take on the brother. My take based on the YouTube is we shouldn't have taken Mason. We should have taken Gabe. Um, and let that be that. But I, I know nothing. I'm not behind the scenes. I think the other, I mean, I don't want to necessarily give a hot take here, but I'm, I'm also kind of maybe trying to get into the mind of John Brandon and thinking, well, we know what you're kind of getting in Gabe Mason because they've seen the YouTube videos. They've done their scouting. Maybe he's been looking at him since way back when at NKU, knowing he's not going to get that guy at NKU. But, okay, to get him to Cincinnati, I can guarantee him here by simply saying, I know you and your brother want to play together. Come play together at UC. Maybe he has other things in the works. Uh, you know, if we're looking at uh, you know the same rankings right now, this it's way too early to give a national ranking on a on a recruiting class for 2020. Uh, but it's nationally right now with these three players ranked at 19. It's second in the conference. Uh, you know, probably majority of that is probably Mike Saunders is is ranked higher on other websites than than what we're looking at. Uh, but you know. Maybe there's other things in the works that he's willing to take on his brother and, you know, use him as our scholarship victory cigar. Look, we're a program that's big enough to not have to offer a two for one if one is not necessarily deserving. Brandon, prove me wrong. I certainly hope Mason, Mason Madsen is a, a longtime and successful contrib- contributor to the program. Welcome to the Bearcats, boys. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, Hummer, we've reached that time of the of the podcast. We need to we need to dedicate this specific episode to one of our favorite Bearcats of all time. Can I take it this week? That's your do week. I, do I have your, your permission? Week. This week's episode. Shout out to Pete Michael. Ooh. Sir, we miss you. It's been about 20 years since the Bearcats have seen Pete Michael in a Bearcats basketball uniform. Um, a very highly successful career abroad, playing hoops in Spain and various other countries. Uh, but what I what I loved when he was a Bearcat, he was a junior college transfer, um, pretty highly ranked as a junior college transfer, but just really hard nosed, defensive, attacked the hoop, and. Uh, the reason he came to mind this summer was there was a great recap. I think it was an oral history of the 
St. Louis conference tournament game when Kenya Martin broke his leg. I am so sorry for bringing that up. But I learned that Pete Michael is the only player who did not visit Kenyon Martin in the hospital with the broken leg. Wow. Uh, this came through through DeMar Johnson. Apparently, He shared the information. There was apparently uh, some squabbling going on between Kenyon and Pete Michael at the time. I think Pete Michael might have even been suspended for a game. Uh, maybe even the St. Louis game. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure on all the facts, but I do know that there's that anecdote about Pete Michael not visiting Kenya Martin in the hospital. Regardless of that, one of my favorite Bearcats in terms of junior college transfers left a big impact on me in only two years with the program. Pete Michael, this episode is for you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.